Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Good morning and welcome. Happy New Year and thank you for joining us online today. The first of 2022. Hope you've had a wonderful Christmas and a good New Year and have managed to have something of a break, something of a change or something of a change of pace and feel somewhat rested. It is so good to be back with you. Personally, I am not big on New Year's resolutions as we go into this New Year, probably because I'm not very good at remembering what I've determined to do, let alone keeping up with what I've resolved to try and and achieve and see change. But having said this, I love New Year. I enjoy the changing of seasons and the chance they offer us to recalibrate and make adjustments and other changes that such times as these lend to us. For myself, I am taking this new year to make changes in how I read the Bible. Usually I read the Bible in a year and then add something alongside it. But I have to confess that I have found this over the last couple of years as become somewhat stale, somewhat dry for me, if I, if I can confess that. So I want to do something fresh. I have brought, bought the Book of Common Prayer and a study guide. And along with my Bible, I've started to do something different for this new year. And so far, it is really going well. Making a deliberate change to help me reinforce and underpin what I need to do and how I need to be a follower of Christ which is important not only for my development, but my very survival. And I believe that changes like this don't happen without us being purposeful about it. So using this as a starting point, over the next few weeks, we are going to look at how we can be deliberate at strengthening or work at strengthening ourselves in the Lord as Christians. How do we be purposeful? How do we build resilience for those times when life is tough and when our walk with God is not what we would like it to be? Perhaps it has become worn through a lack of care and attention that it needs and we have been somewhat neglectful. We all know that faith is crucial to everyday functioning, yet faith can be fragile. Maybe you are or you know of someone who is deconstructing one's faith after going through a long time of searching and stretching. Resilient faith is that quality of faith that is critical to see us through times of trouble, temptation and trials, and even hopefully to come out stronger. But if not stronger, having managed to come through irrespective of what we have faced. I hear echoes in some ways of this in what Paul is hinting in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's something of standing strong and firm. Rick Warren always puts it well. He says these words, where do you get that resilience to keep going? He says, it's faith. It is believing God could do something any moment that could change the direction of your life and you don't want to miss it. 
So you keep moving forward. It's believing that God will give you exactly what you need when you need it as you learn to rely on him to accomplish his purpose in us. As I have the privilege of talking and meeting with people, I believe the issue of resilience and building resilience into our personal faith journey is an ongoing challenge for many, if not all of us, to some degree. That many of us struggle with this, and that is okay. But also, in tandem, I am deeply perplexed that it is easy in life for us, if we are not vigilant, to allow our Christian walk with Jesus to become relegated to the same level of importance, or if I can say it, unimportance, as our own pleasures, pursuits, and pastimes play in our life. Why am I perplexed? Well, because a life, a marriage, a family that allows Christ and the things of God to become sidelined in our life and in our priority structure, more often than not, not deliberately through busyness, distraction, or even offense or many other reasons, will inevitably reap the consequences of the decision to sideline the things and above all, the person of God. Perhaps not immediately, but more likely in 5, 10, or maybe 20 years' time. Strengthening ourselves in the Lord, building resilience, is a lifelong pursuit from the moment we get saved, and not something that we can pick up when we feel like it or when we have more time. It is a choice to be made daily, not something that is left to the impulse of our emotions. However, Coupled with this paradoxically, I believe that there are many men and women in our family and others who watch and listen to us who are desperate for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, that we long for something, we are hungry for God, who realize that without him we can do absolutely nothing, who cry out for a fresh something, a fresh sense of his touch, his power, his presence, his majesty. We thank God for what he's done in our past, but we so need it now again. Therefore, as we look to marry these two and as we dig deeper into these matters, I want us to look at 1 Samuel 30 as a means of both challenge and encouragement as we begin unpacking and looking at this simple idea of strengthening ourselves in the Lord and then building upon it in the coming weeks. Our first reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 6. Now when David and his men came to Ziglag, on the third day the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negeb and on Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag, burned it down, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both great and small. They killed none of them, but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned down, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of Carmel. David was in great danger, for the people spoke of stoning him because the, all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David 
had just returned and finds himself in a terrible situation. He is in absolute mess. And we read these words. David was in great danger for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. These words talk about a situation in David's life when he was without hope, he was physically exhausted, and he was mentally spent. His people, as we read, had turned against him. His leadership was under threat. His family was in a mess. His life was in turmoil, and his future was deeply uncertain. Yet what David did next is what I really want us to see. He made a choice how he would act, what he would focus on, and what he would then do. And we find that he strengthened himself in the Lord. But before we go and say, oh, how wonderful this is and what a great man of God he was, which he was, we actually need to pause and hear something. There is a formidable story that goes before this that we need to both know and have context for as we unpack this statement here in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. This right now is crucial to virtually everything going forward and for our time in our series together. And if we miss, if we miss this truth, this reality, so much of our, what we have in our life will become or remain out of shape, including us and our thinking and our families and therefore our walk with God. David had a choice to make in this moment. On what, on whom would he focus, and what he decided would send him on a course for good or not so good. Today, for many of us, we may feel a sense of hopelessness. We may feel physically exhausted and are mentally stretched and stressed. And understandably so, for many of us are facing situations that are testing and pushing us to our very limits. We've done everything we can think of and every strategy that we can imagine to see our situation changed, we have implemented and yet nothing has altered. We've talked about our situation with other people until we are fed up of talking. We have prayed until we are tired of praying. We have wept until we have no more tears left. We have even got on our knees. We have done all that we can and nothing has changed. This is why this verse is so significant for us as followers of, Christian, of Christ today. Because here is a priceless insight into how so much of life for us as Christ followers hangs together. And if a right choice is made, will help us navigate and come through the many seasons we face. The spiritual trajectory of our life will be affected and influenced by whom or what we ultimately choose to be strengthened by. The company we keep, the voices we listen to, the input we receive, we need to be sure that they are good and right. Question, is the loudest voice in our ear a godly, wise, and proven voice. 
I have to confess, I get somewhat nervous when I see the company some people keep. Some of us need to get people in our lives who have a proven track record. And if you know what a proven track record is, send me an email and we will have a coffee and I will explain it to you. We build resilience first and foremostly by strengthening ourselves in the Lord and his counsel. You see, David had experience of this. He knew, obviously, his, his own history. He was this king of Israel as a young man and as a shepherd, spent time thinking about God, about who God was and remembering his faithfulness. From looking into the stars as a young man, in Psalm 8, he writes these words, Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But if I can say this, this eloquence was part of David's experience from years ago. It was from a time past. And may I suggest that what we read and when we read what we do here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, there is a good argument to be made that this was not his experience right then. In fact, we can be pretty sure that he wasn't feeling like that at this time. There is a very simple principle in King David's life that God wanted to re-establish and re-emphasize and it's not that complicated. It's this, when David focused on the Lord, his faith strengthened and sustained him and when he focused on his problems, his faith struggled. You may say, man, that is incredibly simple and naive, but it is also true and profound. Not that his problems went away when he focused on the Lord, far from it. But his perspective was sharper. He maintained his focus and he was in a better place to face what was in front of him. It's simple, I know. When he focused on God, there was a seminal effect on how he thought. The enemy wasn't able to mess with his mind. He lived life and faced problems in a better sense. See, when he faced Goliath when he was just a man we see a cameo there of David's life we see that David is learning to glance at the problem but to gaze at God many of us I would like to suggest myself included tend to gaze at the problem and glance at the Lord we need to learn to live the other way around and it's a choice that we make on a daily basis David's father sent him to check on his three older brothers who were at war. And here David sees Goliath, this massive Philistine, standing there wearing full armor, taunting the people of God, making fun, belittling, and messing with their minds. And we see David's reaction is completely different to the rest 
whilst the others are nervous and anxious and cowering in fear, David says these words from 1 Samuel 17. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'd like to suggest that this is not some young, naive boy full of bravado mouthing off but if it was, then I would like to be naive again. If this was some teenager that was exercising rash and irresponsible faith, then I will trade it every day for apparent maturity or perceived sophistication or skillfulness that I may have. If this is a young man that says that we can do this, then this is something that I too must have at my, in my life. A spirit that says no matter what, that God is still good. Yes, I think it is all this, but I think there's even more. I think that David sees the giant with that different perspective. He heard the taunts, but interpreted them differently. He saw how big and tall Goliath was, but wasn't intimidated by his voice, his height, or his armor. When he focused on God, he was strengthened. And when he didn't, his power his, the fears would have increased. Need to say that it's fine to experience feelings of doubt, insecurity, and fear even. But it's to whom we take them that matters. That who becomes our strength? Who is our first port of call? So let's go forward a few years in David's life and ministry. And things are very different from Psalm 8 and from the situation with Goliath. David was a national hero. He was popular with his people and King Saul was intensely jealous of him and was out to get him. So David had to run for his life. So he ends up hiding in a cave called the Cave of Adullam in a remote area not far from Hebron and near the wilderness of Judah. Sometimes, unknowingly, unwittingly, we think that this stay was just for a few weeks or just for a matter of months. Some biblical scholars say that this day was for six years or more that he hid in the cave complex, whilst others say that it is nearer to ten than six. Yet during these years, hundreds of men who were disgruntled with the government sought out David. So for after a while, he, was, he had hundreds of men alongside him and their families. And now he is leading them and he is responsible for them. And it's a huge effort and it's a huge responsibility on him just to keep these people alive and watered and well. I cannot begin to imagine what it would have been like to have these men together because we know that when they came in the first place, they were disgruntled and unhappy to begin with. They were just grumpy. They were out of sync with, the, with what was happening in the country. The simple logistics of running a camp in a cave for so many was a challenge in and of itself. How much food would have been needed to have been hunted for and killed and prepared in order to feed everyone? We hear say that modern armies go to war on their stomach. This would have been no different. This went on for years, this responsibility. Water wasn't too much of a problem as water would have been fairly plentiful in this area at this time. 
but latrines would have had to have been dug and kept functioning, which I'm sure was not for the faint-hearted. Today, in Israel, it is fairly easy to identify the region of Adullam's cave, but of course, without knowing exactly the ones referenced in this story, as the area is extensive and full of caves. But one thing is certain, the terrain of these caves was a hard place to live in and to survive. There was no such thing as an easy day. But to add to the challenge of living in this area, there is not just the threat of Saul's army on the lookout for them, but this area of Adullam's cave is wedged right on the border of Israel and where the Philistines lived. And as you can imagine, this was not the safest place for David and any of his supporters to live. They were literally wedged in between their enemies. I say this to highlight the following truth, the following reality. Somewhere in the midst of these challenges and these difficulties and all these problems, something caused David's focus to change and not for the good. Maybe it was an accumulation of worries and responsibilities. Who knows? But something happened. Undoubtedly, it was not one incident, but probably many over a period of time that caused David to lose focus. There was no doubt that he still loved God, but he was stressed, probably exhausted and distracted that he lost something of his focus on God. I wonder... For how many of us, God has been out of focus in our lives for two, five, who knows, 20 years, that life has got too big, too demanding, too busy, too overwhelming, that something of our focus, if not all of our focus, has been lost. Yet we still love God, but that focus, the closeness, the reality, the walk is not there. Who knows what it could have been or may well be for us, the career, study, financial security, sickness, a wrong relationship, who knows. You see, in the Bible, research shows that for a couple of years, there is no mention of David praying or writing a single psalm during a period of this time at Adullam's cave. There is a period that no psalm is recorded and no prayer is, comes from his mouth. So here at his lowest point, David comes back from a raid with his men only to find that the enemy has taken their possessions and they have kidnapped the women and children. And it is at this point when the women and children have been removed, when family has been taken from him, when possessions have gone, when the very core of the reason that he lives has gone and David is at his lowest and the men are so disheartened that they start to speak about stoning him and killing him. And now this verse comes into place. David was in great danger for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So when David literally had nowhere else to go, he finally looked up and he knew what he needed to do. And this next verse is not coincidental, fortuitous, or simply poetic, but a powerful and insightful look for us at what sometimes we need to do and how we need to respond. It says here in verses 7 and 8, David said to the prophet Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. 
So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David puts on the garments of praise. He says, bring me the ephod. He starts to make things that need to be a priority, a priority. He starts to refocus. In other words, David recalls what God has said and how he has instructed him previously. He inquired of him then. He listened and did what God says, and he does what is right, and he does what he knows he should be doing. He listens and he focuses and sets off after what God wants of him and requires of him. <clears throat> it's quite simple, and yet it's quite profound. He put things in place that he needed to, that he had let drift. We all have times when we feel like we can't be bothered, we can't carry on with the troubles of so many other people resting on our shoulders, and we find ourselves frustrated, perhaps blown off course by the winds of adversity and life. You know, the last 20 months or so have been particularly challenging for us all and for us as a nation. At a personal and pastoral level, I am tired of seeing the enemy of our soul seemingly win at every turn, with illness afflicting those who at their time of life should be healthy and fine, with tragedy and heartbreak, with anxiety and stress and depression, dreams being unfulfilled. There seems to be more pain and heartache and marital problems than ever before. And I am fed up with it, if I'm honest. And I often pray, Lord, will you do something? You know, I hate the sickness. There is no other way I can put it. And I know we live in a fallen world, but there seems to have been something over this last season. I detest what illness does to people, to lives, and how it eats away at hope in people's lives. My prayer is often, Lord, will you do something? Will you break in in power? You know, my prayer, my lament, and goes on, Lord, for the next years, we don't want to have to if I can put it like this, spend time explaining away the absence of your power and your ability to transform lives and to change circumstances. We please need you to do something and we need you to do something quickly is the prayer of my heart on such a regular basis. Yes, I know the theory that he is always moving, but the cry is for more. However, but until then, I, we, have a decision to make, and it is this. Do we really believe who he is and says he is? And if we do, we have to strengthen and build ourselves up in him. We have to say, we have to, say to ourselves, I choose to strengthen myself in you, God, that I am going to look into your face. I am going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus no matter what happens, because in him I will discover life and hope, grace and strength and purpose, for he is our only hope. He is the only one who can turn our circumstances around in the most difficult of days. And in so doing, as we focus on him, we refuse to believe the lies of the enemy. Today, whatever we are facing, wherever we are at, let us encourage ourselves in the Lord to make a choice of a will that says that I am lifting my eyes 
to gaze on him. In our moments of utter weakness and desperation, we can make a decision and say, I will encourage and strengthen myself in the Lord. I'm lifting my eyes off myself and everything and everyone around me, and I will stare at who you are. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, over the past six months, I was just going through it, we've had some great series. We've listened to some great series on Sundays. We've had Walking with God. We've had the Bible, Can I Be Trusted? The superb series around Joseph and a great Advent series about a world without Christmas. And they have been so good. But please don't be mistaken. We're not exploring these subjects so that we can simply have more Bible knowledge. Not that that is wrong at all. So that we can have more facts and figures. Again, that is not wrong. But we explore this book. We explore his book together because this book points us to Jesus and he is our only hope. As we start a new year, he is our only hope and we need to do all that we can that focuses our attention on him. It is him we need coming by the power of the Holy Spirit to breathe on us and as we said earlier, to touch our hearts and to bring us a fresh strength. Jesus says, come to me, yet you may have been distracted by other things, but let's put those behind us. We have no one else to go to. There is no one else who can sustain us. There is no voice stronger. There are no arms tighter. No one actually more tender. There is no hope so real. He asks us to come with our brokenness, our questions, our anxiety, to come to him in intimacy, come with all our faults and failings because he can hold it all together even as we fall apart. Now, God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and fall, but those who wait upon the Lord and renew their strength, they'll mount up as eagles and they will run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. Today, as we close, I believe we get to choose to take our focus off what we are facing or that which has distracted us and put it four square back on the one who knows the beginning from the end. Just want to read that verse again. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To carry his yoke means to realize that there is a yoke that was made uniquely and just for us, uniquely and just for you and for me. It fits us perfectly. It is a bespoke yoke. It is not one that fits all. It calls us to realize that he bears most of the weight. Our abilities aren't sufficient to live life and maintain relationships. My resolve, our resolve, isn't strong enough to keep us at it. But with him, we can. He doesn't help us. We put our weak, flimsy shoulder under a yoke that he is 
already carrying. It allows us to nestle into him, to allow him to carry our loss, to allow him to carry our insecurity, our unfulfilled dreams, our frustration, as we work and nestle alongside him. Today, as we start looking at how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord and endeavor to build resilience, may I encourage us all, wherever is necessary, to come again and to begin to strengthen ourselves in Him. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.